Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, and I'm in the beautiful Studio B with Pastor Nick Plummer. Studio B, it's time again. It is, it is. Thank you guys for being here, man. I'll tell you what, what a privilege it is to be here week in and week out and and talk about God's Word, talk about the Torah portions. kingdom. To be, I mean, to even just have this revelation. Torah is the mind of God. There's, you know, I say Dayenu in some form or fashion like 10 times a day. You know, it would have been enough. God, you know what? If you would have just done this, but no, you didn't. You took it a step further and you did this for me. You did that for me. So I'm pretty thankful. I'm pretty grateful. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be studying the Torah portion. We have cool stuff going on. We are still in the Omer season. Um, you know, we did have the ascension of Yeshua. And uh, this past week, since we spoke last, which is really obviously yes. an exciting time. Day 40, um, and the counting of the Omer. You know, the, the news has been interesting. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff going on in the world. But here we are, just like we always are, studying the Torah portion. I feel like this is like a rock, you know what I mean? It's just like a, something that you can go back to and just build a foundation Good on. Good stuff, it's very God's positive. Word. Good it stuff. Is. It is. So this week we're studying the Torah portion, Naso. Not so fast, <laughs> which means take. And uh, it can be found in the book of Numbers, starting in chapter 4 and verse 21, and ending in chapter 7 and verse 89. That's All right. right. So let's jump right in here. Just uh, just another reminder, uh, just so everybody knows. I got my little cheat sheet here. But uh, three key words found in the book of Numbers. Is service, war, and wilderness, three key words. Uh, the other thing about this book is uh, just like num- uh, Numbers uh, gives us uh, three parts to this book. Chapters 1 through 9 is at Sinai. It's the preparation for the journey. A few weeks is involved, and that's actually the Torah portion that we're in right now. Uh, to Moab, uh, the journey, about 39 years, actually starts in chapter 10, verse 11, all the way through chapter 21 and verse 4, 39 years of time. Yeah. Last one, at least the third part of the book of Numbers is at Moab, at the gate to the land. Only a few months of an opportunity to change your life and your world. That's chapter uh, 22 and verse 2, all the way through chapter 36. Once again, journey to God's rest land. So uh, we're going to see in uh, Numbers chapter 4, verses 21 through 33, we have the work of the Gershonites. That's right, the Gershonites and the Merorites. So what was the age group for those Levites who could serve in the tabernacle? So uh, we know it starts at 30, and then it ends at 50. So from ages 30 to 50. Very good. Now, just a little tidbit here, and we're going to see this being played out uh, later on, I believe, in the next portion. But the age was changed to 25 in Numbers chapter 8, verse 24. Uh, also, and then to, cha- of course, uh, and then to 20. Years of age. So they never extended the top end, though, right? No, but it's First Chronicles 23, 24. And, of course, you know, uh, as I look at this paper here, let's see here. Uh, and I need to write this down. Another note that you helped me to look up as well is the fact that uh, in Luke, mm. 
323, Yeshua began his ministry at 30. That's right, right after being baptized. Yeah. So why is this so important? Why didn't he start when he was 20 or 25 as they changed the age? Because we go back to the law of first mention. The first time that something is mentioned in the Bible is the law of first mention. Not that it could have another purpose or meaning or multiple, um, you know, meanings or, you know, uh, storylines. But the bottom line is that he was 30. So it's kind of interesting that yeah. he was 30. Um, matter of fact, I think I was 30 when I got betrothed. Ooh. So little little uh, relevant things going on there. And uh, so uh, 30 to 50. Uh, were the Gershonites in charge of the curtains covering and badger skins of the tabernacle? Yes, that's right. They most certainly were. So they're in charge of all the tapestry. And right. So who's camped out with the Gershonites? Mm, the Ephraimites, the, the Manassehites. The Cabreras. And, yes, the Ephraim, Ephraim Manasseh, and Manasseh, Benjamin. and Benjamin. Yep. This is all the tapestry. It's kind of interesting. You know, we, we love tapestry here. We have all kinds of cloth and fabric and things. Uh, and of course, camped out to the west, and it says you'll come trembling back from the west. Were the sons of Merari responsible for boards, bars, pillars, sockets, etc.? Yes, Ace Hardware. That's right. And they were camped out at the north with Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. So there we go. We have Gershonites and the Merarites. Uh, the following numbers give for each of the families among the Levites, ages 30 to 50. Once again, they were separate from the census of Israel overall. They had their own census with the Lord. Uh, camped out to the south, we have Koath. Uh, let's see here. We have ages 30 to 50. We have 2,750. So Koath was camped out with Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. Uh, among the Gershonites camped out to the west, we have Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin once again. They, Gershon had 2,630 from the ages of uh, 30 to 50. So this is just the males, 30 to right, 50. Right, okay. that's what it looks like. Yeah, Merari uh, camped out with Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. They were to the north, and there was 3,200. And, of course, to the east, you have Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. So any thoughts on that, Ryan, as far as the responsibilities and the age group and also the amount of people? Notice it takes a quite a team to no, minister no, I, the Torah I'll, and all that. I think it's cool because this is obviously a review from last week, um, you know, when we went over the, the duties of the Levites and things like that. Uh, I think it's always interesting when God repeats things. Um, but then we get into the specific counts of Kohath, Gershon, and Merari, uh, for the males ages 30 to 50. And so we had a, a total count of all the Levites being 22,000, if you remember. Uh, and this obviously doesn't add up to 22,000. When I was first looking at it, it took me a second to realize exactly what we were looking at as far as the numbers go. And obviously we're studying the book of Numbers, so you know, it's, it's good to do some math, you know? You know, and, and that's the cool thing, you know. And so, you know, with, with those responsibilities of the priests fulfilling their responsibilities and also being guards in their camps, making sure nothing contaminated comes in or invades or, or, or you know, uh, interferes with the camp, uh, they're guards as well. Uh, and they also teach the Torah. So now we're going to get into some interesting things because now we're going to go into some damage control, public relations kind of thing. That, hey, what if this happens? What if this takes place? Okay, sure. everything's set up. Here are the people. Here's the priest. Here's the responsibilities. We're going to be dealing with unclean people. Mm. Uh, so Numbers chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Ryan, if you could read that. Numbers chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. The caption is unclean people. This is the New King James Version, so I'm just really? giving you a... 
okay. a forewarning. All right. It's, yeah. it's going to sound a little different. It's fine. Just don't let it happen again. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. New King James is good. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, everyone who has a discharge, and whomever uh, becomes defiled by a corpse. You shall put out both male and female. You shall put them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camps in the midst of which I dwell. And the children of Israel did so, and put them outside the camp as the Lord spoke to Moses, so the children of Israel did. You want to go all the way to 10. 10, that's what I thought. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel when a man or woman commits any sin that man commit in unfaithfulness against the Lord, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess the sin which he has committed. He shall make restitution for his trespass in full, plus one-fifth of it, and give it to one he ha- give it to the one he has wronged. But if the man has no relative to whom the restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution for the wrong must go to the Lord for the the priest, in addition to the ram of the atonement with which the atonement is made for him. Every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel which they bring to the priest shall be his, and every man's holy things shall be his. Whatever any man gives the priest shall be his." Wow, you know, here we go. What three types of people are to be put outside the camp? So you have, as we just read, the lepers, everyone that has an issue, and whoever is defiled by the dead. You know, it seems like everyone has an issue with something. (laughs) So who's coming to church? I believe this is regarding... Oh, do you have an issue? Get out. Yeah, this is regarding, I believe, discharges. Come back next week. Discharges. Now, Now, when we look at everyone that has an issue, Leviticus chapters 12 through 15 deal with that yes also just a little reminder a uh, little tidbit for you is it relevant for today i would think so in principle and purpose but galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21 gives us the 17 works of the flesh yep and so i'm also reminded let's see if i can remember the fruit of the spirit because i haven't memorized the the the, the works of the flesh all 17 because the king james gives us 17 but some of these other versions cut it down to 15 right i think there's 17 Actually, that's when uh, that's the age of Joseph when he was thrown into a pit. It is, yeah. So yeah. anyway, um, to make a long story short here, I, the nine fruits of the spirit I'm trying to memorize. Okay, it's love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. See, I've been d- learning these things and just getting it in my spirit. Which one of those is kindness? Meekness? Yeah. 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 So, so once again, we have a leper, everyone that has an issue, and then whoever is defiled by the dead. Remember, let the dead bury the dead. He's the God of the living, Ryan. He's not the God of the dead. Amen. But since we're talking about the 17 works of the flesh, you know, they're right here. Do you and, have 17 uh, in the King James Version? Why don't, you count them? James? why don't we count them? Okay, go ahead. Okay. Just. So they are. Uh, it says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are? And this is at, uh, chapter 5, verse 19 of Galatians. And uh, it says, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. That's 17. 
Good job. Good yep. job, New King James. Yep. You know, uh, from my understanding, there was a scholar that studied it out that said there's about a thousand discrepancies in the New King James version of the Bible. A thousand discrepancies. In the King James or the New King James? New King James. Oh, really? There's only a thousand. But take it out to these and thousands, but it's pretty pretty right on, you know. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I like New King James myself. I do like the New American Standard. But like I said, I've been just doing King James to keep everybody on board. So you church. can actually get, so, so just since we're on the topic of Bible translations, I did some research on yeah. this. And you have uh, a spectrum, and the way they put uh, the way they put them on the spectrum is not necessarily based on accuracy, but based on the style of translation, because some are more of a interpretation than a translation. So, like, put the Message Bible like way over here on yeah. on the side of yeah. of you know we'll we'll say the right. So you have what's called thought for thought, and then on the opposite side you have word for word, and so the translations try to take. That in most you know translations you'll find are somewhere along the spectrum, and so right, that's true. New American Standard being, I want to say, uh, the best as far as word for word, and then like I said, you have message over here under the thought for gotcha. thought. Gotcha, good point. And then in the middle you have the balanced translations. Right. King James and New King James and ESV right. fall on this side over here with the word for word translations because the intention of the the to make it easier to read, but keep its keep its validity, its its meaning. Well, meaning they're on the word-for-word side. So, like, in the King James, if you, one of the cool things about reading the King James Version specifically for me when it comes to Bible study, one of the reasons I like King James for Bible study is because it's word-for-word. The these and thous and the yous and yees, a lot of people don't realize this, but there's singular and plural versions of you. So, like, here in the South, we say you, and then we say y'all. So if I say you, it's you. If it's y'all, it's more than one of you, right? The these and thous are singular, right? And the yous and yees are plural. That's deep. So when you're looking at, you know, reading the words of Yeshua and you see him say ye, he's say talking to a crowd or, or a group. group yeah. Right. So th- there's things that you can't get out of other translations if you're not using the King James with the these and the thou. So I, I learned that and then I became a big, like, believer in the King James version of the Bible. Also, because it's word for word and not thought for thought, if there's something that doesn't look right, it's because it's difficult to translate from Hebrew or Greek into English. Right. Which draws you to go and look at other resources like your concordance to really try to figure out, well, what's really being said here? That's true. What's behind that? And so I think it, it's a good prompt to And you do might that. even find this different English words for the same Greek word. Oh, yeah. Or even for the same Hebrew word, but two different English words. Sure. So let's move in here to, uh, is it possible that a person could be outside the camp today even though they think they are in the camp? Uh, yes, actually, I absolutely believe that. Yeah, I mean, think about it. You know, it's like you could say Shabbat Shalom, you can do all these things, but are you really participating with others? Are you joining up with others? Yeah. Are you submitting? Are you a servant? Are you in it for yourself? And you you just have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. I think if you're isolating yourself, then you're headed in the wrong direction. Um, I, I think if you are pointing at others and telling them how, what they need to be doing, and not pointing at yourself and really internalizing yeah. these things, then then that's probably the you outside know, the camp. I, I would say this, Ryan, if as we know the promises of God as we're led by the Spirit, we're having torment in our minds and our hearts. As we move towards these promises and to the things that God wants us to have, it think about it, we're fulfilling prophecies. Absolutely, and we can bring back the Messiah in our obedience. Yeah, you know. well, and and that's 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 a big piece of it. Um, I think that also. People make bad decisions, and those bad decisions uh, are based on, you know, or cause them to be unclean spiritually, right? I think that— And that's the thing, though, you know, 
Are you in the perfect will of God? Is Amen. the road that you're on leading to God? Amen. Let's move on. If you committed a trespass, what else did you have to pay back besides the principal amount? The principal in full plus one-fifth. That's right, 20%. Now, once again, here are the five offerings. We have the burnt offering, the meat offering, or the meal offering. Then we have a peace offering, sin offering, and, of course, the trespass offering. So a trespass offering is where you can actually make you know, some retribution, restitution. You know what I mean? Restitution, I would say, not retribution, but there is, there is, retribution. There is retribution for sin, but you yeah. know. But once again, uh, we have that as well. So, uh, Ryan, let's turn it over to you. Uh, Ryan's going to get into the law of jealousy in Numbers five eleven through thirty one. He's going to start talking about the law of jealousy. Yeah, I was actually making a joke before the podcast that uh, maybe here at Bait Tehillah we could start facilitating the law of jealousy for the community at large. <sighs> It'd be like the Jerry Springer show up here, you know. Just <laughs> But you know what? We probably can't do that. We'd have to do it in, in private. Like you think if you, so? If you have the law of jealousy, you know, if you would like to set up an appointment with Ryan. No, I'm good, actually. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I do. I see what you did there. Did you I see, see what you, I, I did? I see yeah. what you did I mean, there. You know, I, when I say facilitate, I didn't mean me facilitate. I meant the community debate to heal, and really I meant you. I meant you know, you. The, the, <laughs> you're going to get into this whole law of jealousy thing. Let's get into it. I did. I, let's, let, let, let's dive in. So it says, did a man have the right to bring his wife before the priest if the man had the spirit of jealousy? Yes. So if he has a, if he has a spirit of jealousy, he suspects that his wife is being unfaithful for whatever reason, and he has that spirit on him, he did have the right to bring her to the priest. So Yeah, I just want to say this. I don't, I don't have that with my wife at all. I never have. <laughs> Yeah. And it's really a good feeling, Ryan. Yeah, I, yeah. Because if you're not sure about your wife, because there's a lot of that going on, but I am very grateful and thankful that I'm, I'm not worried about, you know, my wife. Praise know, God. I'm just. You know, that. I, I I feel like I'm in the same boat. Um, my wife is a good woman. She is. You could just, just know she's a good there's, woman. You don't suspect her. You're like not at all. You know why I don't worry about it? Because I got eight kids. That's Ryan. yeah. She ain't got. She no don't time. have time for another yeah. man. Yeah. She can't even. Not to mention me. you got spies now. You know what I mean? So like, Ooh, yeah. You know, Uncle Bo comes over to the house, spends too much time. And, you know, you'll know about it. You know. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> what's the FedEx guy doing in my living yeah, room? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's our uncle. Uh, no, 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 he's not. <laughs> it's terrible. All right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it. It's oh pretty terrible. Goodness. So the offering needed for a married woman accused of being unfaithful was a tenth part of an ephah of barley meal. An omer. That's right, an omer. Uh, and the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel, and of the dust of, that is in the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water. That's Numbers 5.17. So he's making a concoction. And then the woman had to make an oath to the priest before drinking the water. So basically... This is like a scare tactic, lie detector test, okay? Right. If you're guilty, tell me now. Right. Because if you're not, I'm going to find out. You're going to have to drink this water. Yeah. And I'm going to sweep the floor of the tabernacle dirt, you know, yeah. and pour it in the water and mix Hold it up and ball. give it to you. Yeah, no, exactly. So um, the this was not something that the woman wanted to do because what would happen to the woman if she were, in fact, guilty and drank the water? Well, I'm going to let you give the answer to the question, but it does say her thigh would rot and her belly would swell. And that's going to tell us something, of course, in Numbers 528, if you want to read that. Well, that is the answer to the question, yeah, that is, is the this, answer. right? That if she's found guilty by drinking the water, because one thing if she confesses, it's another thing if she goes through the process of saying, I'm not guilty that's and right. lies, that's right. but is guilty, right? That's and right. so it says here, and if the woman be not defiled... Um, but be clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive seed. So, i.e., 
that if she were to drink this and her thigh rot and belly swells, that she would not be able to conceive. She would be barren. She would be barren. So um, that's a, a pretty big punishment for a woman, especially back in those days. There was a culturally just a big emphasis yeah. on the ability to bear children. So, yeah, so having children shows the blessing. It yeah. was important to carry on the family name and everything. You know, I, I shared with Ryan earlier that Michal is the daughter of King Saul, who married King David. Right. And she criticized David for him dancing in the streets and dancing and praising the Lord and worshiping him. Yep. And it says because of that, she was barren. Yep. So never criticize people's worship. Yep. Yeah, like no. Even in church, somebody's doing a tambourine or a flag or something. Don't criticize them. When you see me playing my maraca, don't say nothing. I just, I hear the song La Cucaracha in the back of my head. That's all, you know, La Cucaracha, La Cucaracha. <laughs> We're moving on now. So, that, yeah, so this is a pretty serious thing, you know, and I don't know if we could reflect on the fact that. Do we have any instances where this happens in the Bible? Any other? You probably want to bring one up, don't you? I don't the know. The woman caught in adultery? Well, I, I was going to get to that, but. I'm asking this specifically. I don't. I don't think. Was so. Was there any instance else in I, the Bible this is recorded? I don't think so. But it's like when they brought that woman with adultery. Where was the man at? First of all, to make charges, and then of course he was riding in the sand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And exactly he said, "Go, right. go and send no more to her." Yes, that's so right. He, you know, maybe he was riding. Well, he said, first, woman, where are your accusers?" And I remember yeah. you said it the other week, and I read it just the other day uh, in in John. Where it says that they dropped their stones, the oldest first, oh, yeah. and oh, then yeah. the youngest, right? Meaning yeah. the ones that. I don't I have want my innocence back. Yeah, exactly right. I want to be the young guy. Exactly right. So anyway, uh, you know, God is jealous over us. He sure is. He's zealous and jealous. He is. You know, and so he wants you to participate with him of your own free will. It's interesting. You know, I always make the, uh, you know, the statement about segula, peculiar treasure in Exodus 19. Peter quotes this, that you are a peculiar treasure, meaning that he actually holds you in his hand as a jewel. He doesn't wear you like a like a necklace or a watch or a bracelet, right. and so he, he you're you're in his hand. And, and I love what Yeshua said: nobody can snatch you out of his hand. That's right, out of the Father's now, hand. The, the The word goes on to say, not taking anything out of context, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. But it's your choice. If you draw near to God, Ryan, he will draw near to you. And that's the question we have to ask people: Are you drawing near to God? And we have to be able to, I say yes. Yeah. I think you are. I absolutely am. You know, so in, in different levels, but I can say that I am drawing near to God. Yeah. I want his perfect will. I want his wisdom. I want him, him to have his way. And, and I want to get out of the way. Right. So with that, we're going to jump right into the Nazarite vow. This is very interesting. Yeah, we're getting uh, into some of the yeah. interesting ceremonies. In Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, I, I, I would like to just not read that, but we'll just break it down. What is this? Uh, could a man or a woman take a Nazarite vow and separate themselves to the Lord? Yes, yes, they could. Okay, so I want you to think about this, everybody. We can love the Lord and draw near to him, but you can go to the next level. It's like fasting and praying. Here's a vow. But the Nazarite means separated. Okay, so you're going to take a vow. And uh, basically what it's going to consist of is no grapes, no razor upon your head, no contact with a dead body. Those are the three things, okay? So once again, uh, Nazarite means to be separate, consecrated as a prince. Consecrated, hmm. separate. So this is what you're going to do. And it's going to be for a period of time that it's established that it's not, you know, something that everyone can take. Some are actually taking the vow for life. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you some examples, but not right now. Um, so basically, um, the term Nazarite means one who is consecrated to God. Right. So, boy, you really got to watch yourself. Uh, in Numbers 6, 7, it says, He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or for his sister, when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head. So even in the death of a family member, he can't. He, he's really not supposed to break this, right? He's not supposed to. But if the person became defiled by coming into contact with a dead body, while in the midst of fulfilling the Nazarite vow, they would have to start over. Okay. So once again, the Nazarite vows for a period of time, but some uh, actually had the vow uh, put on them for life. We're going to talk about that. But the following offerings were needed when the Nazarite vow was fulfilled. Uh, Numbers chapter 6, verses 13 through 17. A he lamb of the first year without blemish for a burnt offering. One ewe lamb of the first year without blemish for a sin offering. One ram without blemish for a peace offering. A basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mingled with oil, and wafers of unleavened bread anointed with oil, and their meat offering and their drink offerings. So, without further ado, basically, uh, of course, the hair... Uh, from the person that fulfilled the Nazarite vow was put in the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offerings. Now, for the sake of time, I just want to give you three examples of a Nazarite vow being put upon people or a reflection of it. Uh, In Judges chapter 13, verses 4 and 5, Ryan, if you could read that in regards to Samson. So this is in Judges. Judges. Uh, This is the mother of Samson being shown this from the angel of the Lord, which is a theophany, actually a I believe it's Christ. But Judges 13, verses 4 and 5. 13, 4 and 5. All right. It says here, Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And we're going to talk about this, Ryan, because this is very interesting. It's like in the last days, God really needs people consecrated and totally dedicated to him. Oh, I agree with that. To achieve the things that he wants to achieve for his people. To establish something solid, you know. You know, when you have a little church storefront, that's all well and good. But when you have something like this, which is five acres you know, since 2002, you know, you, you've got a solid foundation. Yeah, here, yeah. You know? And we can actually say we have three generations here. Going back to Judges now, uh, 13 verses 4 and 5, this is, of course, Samson. So that's what's actually uh, prayed over him. So he had this until his death, right? And remember, you know, uh, at the very end, man, he, he brought the house down. He sure did. <laughs> he killed more Boom. of his enemy in that in that place than he did his whole life really yeah he did wow. that's what it, i think that's actually what it says uh so actually, it's a know, lot of people <laughs> you know people like say well you know how does god feel about suicide oh if you commit suicide you know and i don't want to get into that because here's the thing i mean samson basically committed suicide sure god allowed him to bring the pillars down he took his own life along with others yeah so he, he he gave his own life right you know, so so my thing is, you know, we have to be careful. I mean, I know he went to battle many times, but I know it's recorded. What is it? A thousand men he killed with a do- jawbone of a donkey. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I I want to just say this um, th- that comes to my mind. 
is the fact that, I mean, for me personally, uh, we know that um, Samson was the last judge. Right. So, you know, we're in between, even right now, uh, maybe a new prime minister of Israel. We don't know. But I want to say this, Ryan. Was just, I just thought about it sitting here. If he was the last judge, there's going to be a transition. Yeah. So he, t- he was put, that vow was put on him for a reason. Yeah. Because they're going to go from judges to monarchy, right? So I want you to read 1 Samuel one eleven because now we have Samuel. So I want you to read 1 Samuel 11. Now we're going from judges to the monarchy. And, it, and then actually he'll be, the, he'll be a prophet, but Samuel's also considered a judge after Samson. So read 1 Samuel one eleven in regards to the mother. So it says here, Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So she spoke that over Samuel, Mm. the vow of a Nazarite. How serious is that? That's pretty serious. Because here's the thing, you know, once you fulfill the vow of a Nazarite, it gives you the requirements. Yeah. They never had to do it. Hmm. They never cut their hair. Yeah. How long was it? That's a long time. I mean, you can't cut your hair. It's like Rapunzel. (laughs) Rapunzel. It was spoken over them for life. Yeah. So literally, you know, they can't have grapes, can't cut their hair, can't touch a dead body. Yeah. All their life. You know, all their life. I like grapes. I remember Samuel took matters in his own hand, and he killed this king, and then he walked away, and he died. So he probably didn't have any contact with him after that. Well, he was in battle a lot. Samuel. Samuel. Oh, I'm sorry, not Samuel. I apologize. I'm saying Samuel. Remember that Saul didn't do his duty? Right. And Saul killed the king and cut him in pieces and walked away. But he can't can't touch a dead body, but he was alive. Yeah. So, you know, these things that we think about, these instructions. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking, you know, if the Lord is saying, hey, uh, I want you to be a part of the reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles, then I don't question that. I just do it. Yes. You know, because it's like. Because he said so. Because I don't have to have all the answers. I just need to be a participant. Yeah. And I believe that's what's happening even now, even even among the Jewish people today with all those rockets, thousands of rockets coming in from Gaza, you know, as they celebrate Ramadan and come to an end there. But uh, anyway, so. Uh, uh, last but not least, Ryan, if you don't mind going to Acts twenty one seventeen, we have the Apostle Paul, which is going to be involved with a Nazarite vow. Okay, so let's just check out Acts 21, and I'll show you what to read here. Let's read verse, let's go into verse 23. Acts 21, 23. So 21:23 says, Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow... And then 24, take them to be purified and with them and pay their expenses so that they uh, may shave their heads and that they may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. So basically what they're telling Paul is you've been accused of not keeping the Torah and teaching that others don't need to keep it. Right. If you will perform this Nazarite vow and pay for this, the, you know, the expenses and purify yourself and fulfill this vow, then that will prove 
that you still are a keeper of yeah, the Yeah, he's law. telling him to put his money where his mouth so, is. So once again, I just want to say that that's pretty outstanding, if you ask me. Uh, that's an interesting observation. And I want to share this with you, Ryan, anybody that's listening, so we can all make sense of what's going on here. Uh, I have a hard time with Christian commentary that would say that the Apostle Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin, a true Jew, and he uh, had to keep the Torah, but the Gentiles didn't. Now, if he's a true rabbi and an apostle, aren't you supposed to emulate your, your teacher? Yeah. The one that, that you're the disciple of. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to get into do's and don'ts and all that. You know, no, the, the Torah leads us uh, to Christ, so by the sure? way. We can't keep the commandments. I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve couldn't keep one commandment. Yeah. So he gives them 613. But yeah. the, the Torah always leads you to Christ. He is the Torah. So as hard as we try, you know, it's his righteousness. And God knows we can't keep the commandments of God. He knows we're going to mess up. So, you know, he, he gives us the Son of God, the Messiah, to accept that fact. But yet, to emulate him and to want to be like him, you know. And uh, as we even get into Leviticus, as we close it out, uh, in the fact that he wants holy priests, holy sacrifices, and holy time. Uh, there's even a blasphemer mentioned in there, and to keep the Sabbath. So everything's relevant for today that we're actually witnessing, that we're witnessing a lot of blasphemy and things from, from the culture and the world in which we live. You know, it is um, it is a, a real shame the way that people twist the words of Paul. And, you know, Peter predicts it, too. He says, you know, hey, Paul's a little difficult to understand. You know, you got to watch out because people twist his words, yeah. you know, to their own demise. Right. And, um, and I, I appreciate that that verse is in the Bible because it really just point to the fact that, you know, a perfect example of that is where, um, you know, he's telling the people in Colossia, a pagan group of folks, that, hey, by the way, let no one judge you when it comes to what you eat and what you drink and the way, you know, the fact that you're keeping the Sabbath and the new moons and the feast days and all this, which are a right. shadow of things to come but the substances of Christ, right? That's right. So he's telling them, hey, I know people are judging you because you're keeping the Sabbath, unlike the pagan people around you and the feast days, that you're eating clean now, which you didn't used to, that you've changed some stuff up. I, once you read it from that context and not from the other context, where say, hey, see, Paul's telling you you don't have to do these things. I look at that and I'm like, wow, I live this. I have people, even to this day, telling me, hey, you know you don't have to do that. And I'm like, you know what? Get out of here with that. You know, guess what? You're right. I don't have to do anything. I could choose to dis, you know, dis, true. Dis, disregard God altogether, but I don't, you know? You know, I, I want to just share this with everyone that's listening or watching. Um, you know, when you make a vow and it's a period of time and then you fulfill it, you get to eat the peace offering. And that's all part of the sacrificial system of the peace offerings. Hey, I fulfilled a vow. Yeah. I, I, I worked on getting out of debt. I'm out of debt or I lost 20 pounds or, mm. hey, you know, um, you know, rice cakes for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. But but no what I'm saying is that, you know, we can do spiritual exercises, right? But I think taking a vow like a Nazarite vow is going the extra mile. Yeah. It's going the extra step. To really get locked and cocked, you know. But I think that doing the spiritual exercises can help, which is at the lower end of praying, worshiping, reading your Bible. You know, uh, I say, you know, the the love, respect, and have unity is the key right now. Love, respect, and unity. It just goes together so well because, you know, when you do something together and you accomplish something together, it feels so good. It does. You know, just like with our uh, everything that we do here at this church, when we do it together, and we and people participate. You can see the unity, yeah. you know, because everyone gets a share and everyone gets to be a part. And that's why our services are, you know, 
over three hours. <laughs> Everybody wants to participate. Yeah. Everyone has a message. Yeah. You know? Oh man. And it's so awesome to, to see what God's doing though, because people will gravitate and we can confirm God's word and everything. So let's move on to, uh, you're going to take it from here. Oh, exciting. You get the, you get a really good part here. Now. I do. This is fantastic. This is really, really good. This is fantastic. So this is real good. Um, so we've gone through a couple different, uh, special things so far, right? We went through, um, you know, the law of jealousy and that special ceremony that goes along with that, the law now about the Nazarite vow and uh, the things that go along with that. And guess what? Now we are moving on to uh, Numbers chapter 6, verses 23 through 27, and this is the Aaronic blessing. And this is what it says. It says, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them." Praise Would you God. like to sing the ironic blessing? Do you feel up to singing it? Or you just mm, I can do, do that. Yeah, 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 I could do Let's that. Let's go ahead. Yeah. Ryan's going to sing the ironic blessing. Yeah. Panavelecha beyasim lecha shalom. That's awesome. Yeah, and that is over Israel, and and that is how the priests of Israel would put the name of the Lord upon bless the people. Bless the children of Israel. Don't curse them. them. Bless them. That's, that's right. Don't speak ill of them. Bless Amen. them. Amen. I like it. Amen. Awesome. Praise God. For no, that is. I, I, I got to say, I say this over my kids every night. Um, it's just a blessing I say over them. I'm putting That's them to bed. Good. You know, and, and and I'll tell you what. Sometimes I feel like, you know, because when you do something on a consistent basis, and, and we don't do it in some religious you know, way. I know what you mean. I'm not yeah. neurotic about it. But I do pretty much every night. And, you know, just like Shabbat, you know, some Shabbats you're, you're you know, minding your P's and Q's. And other Shabbats you are got children screaming at oh, the table yeah, yeah. and stuff you like you that. You modify it. You not yeah, this is short and easy, but yeah, um, but I do. I speak it over uh, my children every every single night, whether they know it or not. Uh, most of them they know it. Yeah, you know, um, as we look at what the Lord's trying to do for us, He's trying to build a holy community through these practices yeah, and things, you know, of these purposes. So I, I would say that, you know, here we have the work of the priests, the Gershonites, the Merorites right here. We have them encamped around. We say, well, keep the, you know, if you're unclean, you're outside the camp, get straightened out. Then you come back in, right? And then we go into, of course, we know that we get into this law of jealousy. We can't have that going around, vain imaginations. And is she faithful or not? You can't be wondering. You need to know. Yeah. Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay yeah. or should I go? And then, of I course, go? then we go into the Nazarite vow which is an opportunity to draw closer to God and get yourself lined up, right? <laughs> yep. And then we have this incredible ironic blessing. And now Ryan's going to get into the gifts of the 12 princes. That's right. There's 12 princes. Yeah, now we're going to build up on our leadership. Given some 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 gifts. Um, you know, it's it's this is kind of happening as they're finishing up the tabernacle and they're bringing, you know, through some like covered carts, right? So it's literally like wagons uh, that they're bringing in. And it says, uh, what was brought to Moses by the tribal leaders of Israel? 
their offering. That's right. It was the leaders of the tribes bringing offerings up to Moses. They should be the example in giving. Amen. Right. And so it says, how was the offering divided among the Levites? So that's what happens, right? Because everything comes in. That's it. And then it gets disseminated. So this is kind of cool. So two wagons, four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, who had what? All the tapestry, all the drapes, the curtains, right? Uh, uh, and four wagons, eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari for like the posts, the pillars, the sockets, right? Yeah, now, but I, I don't see I don't see Kohath in there. They don't have carts. Ooh. They have to carry the furniture. It says that they yes. had to bear upon their shoulders the furniture of the that's tabernacle. Right. They couldn't put it on a cart. Wow. You know, that's a heavy burden. You know, I'm just saying. They had to carry that furniture everywhere. Now, when I look back and I realize... That there's eight thousand five hundred and eighty men, thirty to fifty, amongst the Kohas, uh, the Kohathites, the Gershonites, and the Merarites. I feel like okay, the work is split up amongst a few, a few people. You know, if I get Still, tired, yeah. I mean, if you're carrying it for so long, then you can tra- give it to somebody else. That's what I'm saying. There's thousands of it's other. It's like people a small child on your shoulders. You. you can only do that for so long. Right. Right. Yeah. So they, I, that's why they had it all split up into to courses and all that. So, on the day that the altar was anointed. Did the tribal leaders want to give an offering for the altar's dedication? Yes. Wow, man. So their heart was really in the right place. They're, they're coming ready to give. And so the following offering was given from each of the tribals, I'm sorry, each of the tribes for 12 consecutive days. It's like on the first day of offerings, the tribal leaders gave to me. All right, so we're going to go ahead and run through this. It says uh, the first one was one silver charger. That's right. All right, one silver bowl. Uh, fine flour mingled with oil for the meat or the grain offering, Uh, one spoon of ten shekels of gold full of incense, Uh, one young bullock, one ram, Uh, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats uh, for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. Now the cool thing is if and you a stop partridge, and look at yeah, if you look at these, yeah, if you look at these peace offerings, it's interesting because you get to eat of it. Yeah, the leaders are actually having a barbecue. Yeah, it's really they're just throwing a party. When when you hear it that way, you're like, ah, eh, it's not so bad. But it's still good. Yeah, oh yeah, right, a party for God. That's right. And so here's the big question: Why is giving and responsibilities higher for those in leadership? Let's go over some scriptures, Ryan, if you don't mind. Let's, I don't we, mind we, at all. We, we've got time. Let's let's look at Jethro a couple minutes. giving counsel to Moses in Exodus oh, 18, yeah. verses 21 and 22, uh, dealing with responsibilities of a leader as well. Uh, the standards higher. This is Exodus 18. Exodus 18, verses 21 and 22. This is what Jethro says the requirements. All right, it says, Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. So what were the requirements to be a leader, what Jethro was saying? You it's, had to be what? Yep, they had to be able. They had to be. They had to fear willing, God. Yeah, yep. willing, want to do it. Yep, they had to fear God. Fear God. Men of truth. Men of truth. Hate covetousness. Hate covetousness. And that, that's all of it. Okay, um, cool. And I think those are the requirements for obvious now, reasons. Now, let's stop and look in the New Testament for the church government. Let's look at the Apostle Paul 
uh, writing to uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Uh, let's read those 13 verses um, in regards to uh, qualifications to be an overseer. Okay, so this is uh, 1 through 13 in yeah, chapter 3. Good. It says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. That's good. Those seven verses are good for the, for the overseer. It goes into the qualifications of a servant as well uh, in regards to, to deacons, because deacons become actually elders. So once again, the, these are the qualifications. I, I love this. It says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So like myself, being a pastor, I have to have a good reputation outside the church. Oh, yeah. What if I go in the mall and they see me and they say, Oh, this guy's a jerk. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's he's right. a pastor. This guy is just—he's just a jerk. Or I go to the restaurant. Oh, this guy—he doesn't tip. No, yeah, not good. He leaves tracks. <laughs> he I mean, leaves, you know, it's like—it's like—it's like, it's like you know, when when people know your reputation, then you can find out who you are. Yeah, that's right. It was right. interesting when I was in the hospital. I didn't tell anybody I was a pastor. The nurse found out. She says, "Why did you tell me you were a pastor?" I said, "I wanted to see the real you." Ah, uh, yeah, exactly. She goes, "But I wouldn't have said those things." Yeah, I would have yeah. done those things. I said. It's okay. Why would you say and do them anyway? Right. Exactly. Right. You know. So I didn't want to come off self righteous, but it was funny how that nurse was like, "You, I found out you were a pastor." Yeah. Mm. And I said, "It's okay. I, I'm praying for you. It's all right. I love you. You know." But yeah. but it, it's so funny how why would we act differently? Yeah. yeah it's funny. Aaliyah calls you Pastor Neck. You know, she shouldn't say Nick. She says Pastor Neck. Pastor Neck. Now let's let's finish up with Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Ryan. Hebrews. 13 you said Oops. yeah i like to kind of go in a little flow there you know not not just to take you to the right i like the book of hebrews 13 17 13 oh, 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 17 all right obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you so it's kind of like, you know, if I'm here to help you and assist you, why would you want to give me a hard time? Well, and if you miss, that's kind of a, if, if you miss uh, allocate resources or if you make the wrong decisions, you're held accountable to that. Right. It says obey them that have the rule over you or guide but you. But I'm okay, accountable for my obedience. You know, it's interesting when God wants to go after certain people like the bride, that's why the teachings are the way they are. Yeah. He wants a certain people. So if you're saying, wow, I can't really attain to that word, then you're not the bride. Mm-hmm. But because he wants the bride, yeah, you know, and, and I'm not, you know, I, I see some similarities because 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 it's kind of funny how it all works out for me personally, being an Ephraimite or whatever. But you know, a non-Jew coming out of the nations, I find it interesting that you know Moses was the best man, yeah, at Mount Sinai, and then of course you have what John the Baptist says, "I'm a friend of the bridegroom," you know, and then of course Paul goes into, "Listen, I've espoused you to one husband, I'm like the best man here," yeah, well. For me, that's how I feel. 
like Moses and John the Baptist and the Apostle Paul, I'm trying to get the bride to God. Yeah, amen. Because it's a, it's a bridal ministry that we want the holy of holies. We want to, you know, we want to achieve that. We don't want to just get by. Right. Lord, what do you want from us if we're the bride? You know, I don't want to say depart from me. I never knew you. Yeah, we don't just want tickets to the show. We want the VIP tickets. You know. Like you the, know, do you want to be the bride, the bridal party, or the guests? Yeah. You know, I think it was somebody said to me that they didn't find the actual verse that the church is the bride. They never found the actual verse. There's some in, innuendos or connotations, but really, what is the bride supposed to be doing? Preparing herself, making herself ready. It's funny that you say that. So I had someone say that to me one time, and the thing that popped in my brain was this. It says, well, Jesus told me that I should love my wife the way that he loves the church yeah, and gave himself for her and all this stuff. Right. So I was yeah. like, well, it sounds like they're saying that the church is the bride there without saying the church is yeah, the yeah, bride. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. But anyway, let's move on. Yeah. Let's, let's keep going. All right. So, um, the next thing that we have is we list out, uh, the tribes next to the day, which they brought their offering. So you have 12 tribes and 12 days. And on the first day you had Judah bring his offerings. And uh, on the second day, you had Issachar. On the third day, you had Zebulun. On the fourth day, you had Reuben. On the fifth day, you had Simeon. On the sixth day, you had Gad. On the seventh day, Ephraim. Ooh, lucky number seven. On the eighth day, you have Manasseh. The ninth day, you have Benjamin. Uh, the tenth day, you have Dan. The eleventh day, you have Asher. And the twelfth day, you have Naphtali. So it, it does appear that they went around Yeah, we're talking 88 verses. Yeah, they went around giving. the camp. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a long thing to read. Yeah. And Re- repetitious. It is. and Well, it's se- 78 verses, yeah. So, but here's the deal, right? It goes around starting with, you know, the east side of the camp, right? Then the west, or then the, sorry, then the north side of the camp, the west side of the camp, and the south side of the camp. So it goes around the camp and picks the tribes as it goes in order that way. And so with the example of the 12 tribes, how is the house of Israel made up of Jews and Gentiles? I mean, that's a loaded question. I mean, yeah, and there's a reference here. I mean, we got Romans 11, verses 13 through 36, which is natural branches and wild branches, because the olive tree represents Israel. Yeshua is the root. Yeah. So natural branches broken off for unbelief. We're grafted in, so therefore we are Israel. We're a part of the plan, the tree. We're not replacing them, because how greater will it be when the natural branches are grafted back in? Yeah. And also, uh, in Ephesians 2, Verses 11 through 22, we, we have here, once we are far away, Christ has brought us near. Now we pr- become part of the commonwealth of Israel. That's right. So it's all together. It's all, everyone has a part. Yes. Nobody's greater than the other. Everyone has their part because it's God's plan. And, and you know what's exciting about all that is that we get to experience the one new man, right? The, the, the new kingdom when we come together. But first, we have to take the two... <laughs> And bring them together. Amen. And we talked about that. We know the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel. I guess, it, is it 37, the Valley of Dry Bones? It is. So 36, you know, God takes out your heart of stone, gives you a heart of flesh. There's mountains that salvation of Israel. experience that gives you his spirit. So there's about mountains of Israel yep. in there? In 36? Yeah. I believe there is, yeah. So then you get to 37, the, uh, the Valley of Dry Bones, where the exceedingly great army, the people are awakened, right? That's right. Like They're the brought Israel to the realization, yeah. hey, I have to get aligned with God and, and what he's doing. And two sticks become one. And then boom. Ephraim and Judah, second half of thirty-seven, and then we have the Battle of Gog and Magog. So, so the armies raised up, and then we unite with our brothers and sisters to fight Gog and Magog. To fight Gog and Magog because it's Russian collusion. (laughs) It's game time. It's Turkey and Russia. Let me add them. Let's do this. Turkey and Russia. Yeah, I got to work on my to the north, Black Sea. So, so anyway, um, you know, think about that. So, so once again, 
uh, you know, we get accused of being Jewish or whatever, trying to be Jewish, but Thank we're you. not. That's what I say. Thank you. Thank you very um, much. <clears throat> and so, you know, uh, if you want to just finish it up here. I do. I do want to finish it up. Yep. It says chapter 7, verse 89. Last verse in this Torah portion. And when Moses was gone to the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of testimony from between the two cherubims, and he spake unto him. So he wow. went and heard the voice of God speaking from above the mercy seat. You know, when you think about the wow. ark, think about it as a chariot, a throne, the angel's wings is the backrest, the right. mercy seat. But yep. what is he sitting on? You know, he's actually sitting on a cover that comes off. Yeah. It's a seat. Yeah. So he sits on it. He's actually sitting on the rod of iron, the manna, and the commandments of God. He's sitting on three things, pretty much, basically. So what is what is God trying to tell us? Is he's sitting on the throne, which becomes like a fiery chariot, which is pretty off the charts. That's not a UFO. That's the that's the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. But my thing is, you know, if you stop and look at, well, what does a kingdom consist of? If you have a throne, what's needed to have a kingdom? Well, man has provision. Yeah. We all need provision in the kingdom. Right. We need to be fed. We need water. Uh, then, of course, Aaron's rod is leadership. And then with that comes the theocracy of, of the Torah, of the teachings and instructions, the commandments of God. So we know how to live. We know how to act. We have authority, and God gives us provision. Yeah. You take any one of those away, and it's not a really a good kingdom. Think about it. If people are authoritarian, and then they have their own laws, and then there's what? There's, there's famine. Yeah. There's poor. There's, there's no food, right? But if you have a righteous leader on the throne, and he's a good leader, and he has good laws— There'll be food. There won't be famine. It's amazing. And you're seeing all this throughout the world, even in, in Yemen with the Houthis and all the things that are the civil war, the stuff that's happening over there, you know, to the west of Saudi Arabia, whatever, you're seeing where there's famine because there's bad leadership. Yeah. Okay. There's no manna and, and the commandments, are, it's just, it's just war. Yeah. They don't it's even, they don't even have blowfish. No. Houthi and the blowfish. No. <laughs> they ain't got nothing. So this is why we're seeing this, you know, and how many thousands have died in Syria from civil war, you know. Yeah. Damascus is one of the oldest known civilizations or cities in, in the world. And look what's happened. You know, it's kind of interesting because remember Lot fled to Damascus because he took him to Damascus. Yeah. And Abraham had to go and get him. Just like today, you know, there's all this stuff happening. Yep. They showed kids in cages in the middle of a street. It's, it's, it's horrendous. I mean, it truly is horrendous. Yeah, it is. Lawlessness. Lawlessness. Even now, you know, in Israel, the lawlessness is breaking out. And they're saying to tell the Jews to stay in your homes because the police can't do anything right now because there's just too much going on. It's too much, they yeah. Don't, they don't have enough. Right. So stay indoors. Don't go out in the streets. That's, that's not good. No. All right, so back to the Torah portion. What lessons can be learned from the Torah portion Naso take? What, what do you got, Ryan? I'm still just kind of thinking about that myself. You know, uh, I would say that... Um, that I, I would say that it's so important that we try to keep order in our lives and in our church. Yeah. You know, that we have a standard to keep order in the house of God, to keep order in our life. It's so important to keep order and to remain dedicated to God. I would, I would say that those are really kind of like my two things. Yeah. That if you have a standard and you have order and you know what's required of you, that you can, you can keep it. You can do it, you know, because it talks about when you're unclean, you're outside the camp. You know, it talks about things like that, these responsibilities that are laid out in this particular Torah portion. And also, you know, that uh, 
when you're in a spirit of giving or helping, it makes the community better when you have leadership that's giving and participating. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. So the two things I got, and I said this a little bit last week, but many hands make light work, unless those hands are little children, and then it makes many hands make more work, but that's beside the point. But truly, you have all these Levites, right? What did I say it was? 8,580 Levites, 30 to 50, uh, aside from the, the sons of Aaron, um, that were the, the, the workers, right? That's right. And then the other thing that I, I, up, I came up with that I got out of this was that you can't outgive God. You just can't. I mean, these people brought droves of offerings to God, and yet they are still blessed. And I just, I love that because it's like, you know, you'll never go wrong sowing into the kingdom. God multiplies your resources if you're working the kingdom work. It's just how, it's just how it goes. So if you're doing the work of the kingdom, expect to be blessed. Expect it. If you're taking the resources that God gives you and you're working against the kingdom or you're outside of the kingdom, don't expect that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It right. just is what it is, especially if you know that you should be. That's right. Um, because I know the enemy works in other people's lives by, quote unquote, cursing them by increasing right. their finances, right? Because it, it, just because you have more resources you know, doesn't mean it's a blessing. If you're known for anything, you should be known for your love. Amen. And your generosity. Because Yeshua said, they'll know you're my disciples because of the love you have for one another. Yeah. Who wants to go into a church with a bunch of infighting and discord and no unity? They'll know you're my disciples because you count the Omer. That helps too. <laughs> Let's count. <laughs> All right. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam, Asher Kitshenu, B'mitzvotav, Vitzivanu, Al-Sifarat HaOmer. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, whose commandments add holiness to our lives and gives us the command to count the Omer. Today is 45 days, which is six weeks and three days of the counting of the Omer. Hallelujah. Praise God. Man, I love easy commandments. I just love them. I know I get excited about it, but it's just... Yeah, we're getting there. And we are coming up to Shavuot. So I think by the time you guys get another podcast from us, we, we, will, be, we will have celebrated Shavuot. Yes. And so just many blessings to you guys. May the Holy Spirit fill you and indwell you and may he guide you into all truth. Bless you guys. Have a great week. 